The pod. You opened it. We came. Hello, I'm Harry. I'm Rory, and... Welcome to hell. seemed really unsure about whether or not it was in hell and then you said that. That's really funny. <laughs> but yes, welcome to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies, even if they might not count as a video game movie. I guess we'll discuss that. Uh, what's the film we're doing today? To mark the release of the forthcoming reboot of the Hellraiser franchise, we are talking Hellraiser Hell World. I'm very much enjoying your pronunciation today. Hell World! <laughs> Welcome to Hell World. Um, so yeah, I am a huge Hellraiser fan, so when you discover that a favourite film franchise, with major caveats, has a video game connected, connection, I'm like, I can't wait to talk about this film! <laughs> um, saying that, though, most Hellraiser sequels are Drek and... I think despite me really keen to cover this film on the podcast, may need to talk about Hellraiser. Um, Like literally only the first film is in any way any good. (laughs) Or maybe this one's different. We'll get to that. But yeah, I actually hadn't seen this one. I don't know how many Hellraiser sequels you've actually seen, Rory. Uh, So yeah, I've seen the first film. I've seen the second film and the third one. So those are the three, I guess, theatrical released theatrically released Hellraiser movies um the rest I guess sharply went the DTV route I guess this new film in a way is the same it's going direct to streaming um but that's uh no longer considered I guess due to the pandemic quite the worst thing that can happen to a feature film nowadays yeah, I think, again, with caveats, I think caveat's going to be my word for the day, especially in regards to this film. <laughs> but, you know, I saw Hocus Pocus 2 this week, which has just come out, and, you know, it was pretty alright, but also clearly shot on a direct-to-TV or direct-to-streaming budget. I recently saw the trailer for the Enchanted sequel, and again, it feels very soundstage and a little bit crap. I'm not here to just shite on... On Disney here. I mean, ultimately, I think the new Hellraiser film is going to show up on Disney+. Plus. Uh, we record this knowing it's going to be a Hulu original, but they still have yet to confirm if it's coming on Disney+. Plus. So I think it should be out somewhere by the time this episode comes out. You have to basically play with a magical box to access Disney+, Plus, <laughs> I guess. Um, you opened the plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It still blows my mind that you can get Predator and all these violent horror films on Disney. What what a time to be alive. Um, but anyway, I mentioned I am a big, big Hellraiser fan, uh, specifically the first film. I think what a lot of people get wrong, though, is that they think it's like a slasher sort of torture porn style film, which is completely understandable because it was released right in the middle of the slasher 
kind of period, or more accurately, I guess, the late latter slasher period. So, and and the poster, which I think is like one of the most iconic horror posters, you've got Pinhead there in always like leathers and hooks and blood and like BDSM influenced sort of regalia. I think um, when Clive Barker asked the costume designer to costume the Cenobites, which are the demons in these films, he said they needed to look like magnificent super butchers or something. Um, but what, so that really sells one thing, but what makes the first Hellraiser film so great is that it's basically an episode of EastEnders, but with demons in them for like a <laughs> minute or two minutes or something. It's about, uh, it's really about an affair between a man and a woman, but the man's just returned from hell and he needs blood to get his uh, his form, his body back to full power before they can make their escape. And then the Cenobites come in, really, they're like the, the fire under the tail of the man who's escaped from hell. Uh, but unfortunately or not, it's hard to say, but... Um, the the design of these creatures was so iconic, was so good, that naturally audiences became less interested in the human story and more interested in like the hell stuff and the demon stuff. And kind of all the stuff that was kind of hinted at in the first film became kind of expanded on in like the latter films. And then we enter this whole director video period where a lot of the sequels are not not actually Hellraiser films initially. They were like normally other horror scripts and then they staple like Cenobites onto them. Oh, staple Cenobite. I know, a staple. He's got staplers for fingers. <laughs> <laughs> clack, clack, clack. Oh, he's got paper cuts and you know what he does. Um, <laughs> um, so I think also one thing which makes uh, the Hellraiser, I guess, franchise stands out a bit is as I alluded to is that it, it was influenced by... I guess BDSM kink kink culture. Like I would say, I guess for one, non-conservative sexual practices, perhaps. And the tagline is not just a clever tagline. Um, tagline for Hellraiser being demons to some, angels to others. It was really about that that cross section of pleasure versus pain. What I really love about the first film is that they the Cenobites describe themselves as explorers in the further reaches of experience, demons to some, angels to others. Sort of really applying that for a lot of people, entering hell is their version of heaven and they're kind of non-judgmental. They're non, they're not uh, like Christian hell or Christian heaven. They are kind of above it, beyond it. They are the further reaches of experience. And then like the very last Hellraiser film, director video, it's called Hellraiser Judgment and it's got fucking angels in it and it's got, it's all about you are bad in life, so you deserve punishment. And I'm like, that's not Hellraiser at all. That's not my Hellraiser. <laughs> that's not my Hellraiser, which is a few things I said during the watching of this film we're going to discuss. <laughs> but, but there are, again, caveats. So we'll get to that. But you mentioned Clive Barker. Uh, so he was the original writer of the novella on which the first film was based. And then he wrote and directed the first feature film. Because his earlier work were like, done really badly and I actually watched Rawhead Rex so he'd done a film he had written the script for uh, Rawhead Rex based on one of his short stories and in the short story it's basically a giant terrifying phallus monster running around it's basically got a head like a big penis and it's going around 
destroying people in the most brutal ways. And the film, it's not without its charm, but the monster it doesn't look like a peanut. It looks like a big werewolf type thing in like leathers. And even though it's meant to be prehistoric, it's obviously had you've been to like a leather <laughs> a leather shop. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was so upset with how the film showed up, turned out, he went on to make Hellraiser. I guess the other works, at least in terms of film, that Clive Barker is known for is Nightbreed, which we mentioned in relation to David Cronenberg on Existen's episode, mm-hmm. because he appears in it. I haven't actually seen it. And also Candyman, um, which I actually watched the remake, well, follow-up, sequel... Reboot, whatever you want to call it, just uh, earlier this week. Oh yeah, what did you yet. think? I really liked it. Yeah. I, I I had some sniffy stuff when it came out, I think. Some sniffy reviews, which was unexpected. Um, but I really liked it. So, yeah. What's interesting, though, about the Candyman films, I've actually not read The Forbidden, which is the original story upon which Candyman is based. Um, that's set in Liverpool, but... What makes the Candyman films really unique is that they completely um, remove it from Britain and set it in America and talk about, like, the, I guess, the tension between white people, black people, racism and everything in in Chicago. And again, what's more interesting about the remake, what's really interesting about the remake is that the original is kind of about the black experience, but it's told by white people with white filmmakers making it and... The new Candyman is told from sort of the black point of view and was really good. And yeah, it was really good, but I think a lot of people found the ending really anticlimactic. And I would sort of agree, though I did find aspects of the ending really powerful. But we're getting a bit sidetracked here. I will say, though, it's worth bringing up Candyman and it's turning to America-ism because the original Hellraiser is a proudly British film but for the fact it's entirely dubbed into American. Um, so there's scenes when Kirsty Cotton, who's like the female lead, is walking down the Thames and you see Battersea Power Station in the background. But then like literally everyone bar like one person speaks with an American accent. It's got this weird, weird vibe. <laughs> and now I think everything Hellraiser is set in America, really. And also... There's, uh, we were recording this before the new Hellraiser has come out. It's not been confirmed whether or not it's a full reboot or sort of like a legacy sequel type deal. It's been confirmed that no one from the original films are in this new one. But until I sit down and watch it, which will be next week, there's still the possibility that like the new Pinhead is like just another Cenobite with like the same fashion sense. Yeah, because in the credits, like Pinhead is not called Pinhead. No. In the first film, it's just the the Cenobite, right? Or uh, The lead Cenobite. Lead Cenobite. And yeah, Pinhead became this sort of cutesy poo sort of name, which eventually got put into the films. I think in Hellraiser 3, um, the m- main character, she says... Go to hell, Pinhead. And just before Pinhead can say, these aren't pins, these are nails, um, he gets sucked off into hell. Don't know why I said that. Uh, (laughs) But, um, yeah, he's actually... So, I do love Clyde Barker, and I especially like his early books of blood and his novellas like The Hellbound Heart, but 
like he he decided to try and put the franchise to bed with his book the scarlet gospels which was like his first explicitly hellraiser book that he wrote and again it did a lot of the things i really don't like about the hellraiser films he pretty much go to like bog standard boring fire and brimstone hell and like pinheads is like turns into a knight in shining armor and his name though is confirmed to be the hell priest but I'm not going to call him that. I'm going to call him Pinhead. <laughs> but no, I think the Hell Priest is fine. But um, yeah, I feel it, w- it was not one of his best. And, and I think one thing which often gets missed in, in later Hellraiser content, especially if we're talking about video games, and especially as we're talking about mainstream movies, is like the kink and the transgressive sexuality of it all. Um, and because video games really don't like talking about sex in any capacity... It's perhaps unsurprising that there's not really been much Hellraiser video game content at all. But no. I guess most notably has been the introduction of Pinhead in Dead by Daylight. Yes. Um, he joined uh, the ranks of many other horror icons who don't have their own, what's it called, player versus enemy or asymmetric multiplayer. Asymmetric, yeah, multiplayer. Um, uh, because obviously you have your Friday the 13th and your Evil Dead the game, so if you don't have your own game like that, you have to join the Dead by Daylight roster. Yeah, or Super Smash Brothers. Or Super Smash Brothers, still waiting for... Pinhead! Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's sort of notable, but there were um, aborted attempts of yes. Hellraiser games in the past, way back to the NES, I believe. And there was also, I think, an attempt of a sort of first-person shooter for the Super Nintendo and PC. But yeah, then... it, was, it was using the Wolfenstein 3D engine, but then Doom came out like immediately after, before it was going to come out or something along those lines. Yeah, I guess, you know, if we're talking about depictions of hell in video games, Doom is maybe the most notable mm-hmm. and famous example of that. I mean, there's other ver- you know versions of hell that we see in, in other video games, but... Um, Doom casts a, a long shadow. Yeah. And it's just down to your own personal experience because I see sort of the works of Clive Barker and things like um, Shadow Man and uh, like even Dead Space and stuff. Um, a lot of Hellraiser sequels do that thing where you've got this protagonist basically bumbling around seeing all this horrifying stuff, but every time it's like a vision and they come, they come back to reality you're like, oh my God, what was that? Um, I actually saw the horror film Smile just the other day, and I'm not going to spoil anything about it, but I, th- I thought it was going to be a film where like there's a smile plague, and everyone, like if you see someone smile, you start to smile, but it's actually, again, somebody is really just seeing lots of hallucinations until like the final act where shit gets real and or terrifying. <laughs> but it was crap they did that thing where a camera a drone follows a car but they flip the footage upside down you're like no that's not how things are supposed to be the wow. woods shouldn't be in the sky oh so topsy-turvy oh no i guess like other versions of hell in video games i enjoyed shadows of the damned which was a collaboration between Shinji Mikami of Resident Evil fame and Suda Goichi of No More Heroes and Killer7 fame, with music by Akira Yamaoka of Silent Hill fame. So it's like a big monster mash of horror legends, but the end game was like very, like, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's like dumb, sort of arcadey 
shooter thing, but it had sort of, you know, fun uh, design and, and, and stuff. More recently, I've enjoyed After Party, mm-hmm. which is from, I think, Night School Studios. And you play as sort of two, I guess, recent college graduates who find themselves, they've died, they've gone to hell. And the only way to get out is to defeat Beelzebub in a drinking competition. <laughs> so you kind of go around and have, um, um, yeah, drinking matches with various demons um, in order to progress. And there's sort of interesting dialogue, snappy script, um, fun visual uh, sense. So that's a nice, a nice depiction of hell. I, which I enjoyed imagine recently. Pinhead rocking up going, Kegger! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, he just, like, smashed beer can on his pins and, like, chug, chug, chug. You know, we'll get to it, but there's a big rave in this Hellraiser film. There's also a rave in Hellraiser 3 as well, so, you know, Hellraisers know how to party. (laughs) I believe is a line in this film. Yep. I guess most pertinent to the feature film of today as well was Virtual Hell, which was... Uh, almost got made, which was I guess like Virtual Springfield. Um, but that Sorry, was this a Hellraiser game. Yeah, this was yeah, a Hellraiser yeah. game in the mid '90s, which apparently footage was shot and Doug Bradley as Pinhead recorded dialogue, but apparently it was completely unplayable and was uh, canned before it got. People kept any going further. to hell. All the quality assurance testers <laughs> just ended up like, well, let's just go and check on them. They might want some donuts. There was like blood and hooks everywhere. This is what problem when you put a laminate configuration box in the main menu. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine the accessory with a, like, a little light and like, you can put the Dreamcast memory stick in there. <laughs> um, but beyond Hellraiser, there were other Clive Barker forays into the video game realm. There, w- there were a couple of Nightbreed video games. There was like a kind of interactive movie style game and more of an action adventure platform mm-hmm. uh, game but i suppose most notably um clive parker wrote the stories for uh, some other major releases there was clive barker's undying released by ea in 2001 which is a sort of first person horror shooter style thing mm-hmm. and it's set in 1920s ireland um, I think Clive Barker as well, he voices a character in that game. And it looked sort of like spooky, descending into action. It, um, I'm sure it was fairly enjoyable. It seemed to get sort of fairly positive reviews at the time. Uh, less well regarded was Clive Barker's Jericho in 2007, which was another sort of horror first person shooter uh, published by Codemasters. And in that you... Uh, it's like a squad-based shooter where you're part of the Department of Occult Warfare, okay. known as the Jericho Squad. And that you... sounds cool. It does sound cool. I think it's a pretty cool concept. Less and... terrifying than Rainbow Six, I'd imagine. <laughs> um, and you have to, I think, sort of go into this city which has been taken over by demons. And like from the looks of things, like the designs were really cool, but it was... Very bad gameplay, I think, was the thing. Mm. Which The thing is, you can kind of... Your main character dies at the start, but then you can possess other people in the squad. So it's like a squad-based shooter, and you can change your different class of shooter. So one's got a big Gatling gun, one's like a, a priest with, like, dual gun weapons. Um, when you say sniper, Clive Barker... When you say Clive Barker wrote this, does that just mean he kind of wrote the cutscenes? I think... I guess... I don't know. I mean, maybe he came up with story and concept, and maybe... Some dialogue. I, 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 
One thing I, I wasn't there. One thing I do love about his writing is his purple prose, where he'll say like several words when he just means one. And I can imagine like the right the game developer saying, "Clive, we need like how do you how would you how would you write press A to jump?" It's like with a like distentation of his anus. We brought it close to the ground, and then he released his legs, which fly up into the heavens above, closer to God. It's okay, Clive. All right. <laughs> Yeah, but by all accounts, it's it's like interesting concept, interesting ideas, and just poor execution. So, you know, who knows? Maybe one day someone will go back to it and make a good game out of it. But I, I can't say I haven't played either. Alpha, Omega, cover him. We've come for the firstborn. Of course you have. So did everyone. The truth is, we're all inside of him. The difference is, you just don't know it yet. We're already lost. If you tell us where it is... what? Set me free. We've come to stop him. Now, brothers, unite our flash to... When you say good ideas, poor execution, I imagine like in hell, Pinhead doing like the peer review of his fellow Cenobites <laughs> when it comes to their torture. I like your imagination, Butterball, but like, you know, some people might think all the donuts in the world is actually rather nice. Uh, like this H. Simpson you tortured the other day. It's like, oh, I'll try again. More hooks. More hooks, I think. I thought it'd be more like... <laughs> what chains again chains again how basic <laughs> yeah people like chains are these why plas- not use more of them are these plastic chains you're using <laughs> we actually i mean you and i once designed our christmas living room hellraiser style by having all the um paper chains or, paper chains and tinsel hanging directly from the ceiling just onto the floor <laughs> which was um a choice. But we made sure that the sight lines to the TV were still yeah, in place. exactly. We yeah. had our priorities. Well, I mean, I feel I like... I mean, we are in spooky season. Oh, yeah, of course. We're in hot October, Halloween month, and so we usually yeah. do, like, a spooky movie double bill, unlike all the other horror movies you do, know, do you, all throughout why, the year. Why do you think we're watching this? For fun? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've, we've really glanced over the Hellraiser film franchise, but to be honest, or... All I can really say about the sequels is that they're, they're various shades of shit. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think I've seen all but one of them. I, so was Hellraiser... I'll skim through them quickly. So it was Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, which, as you say, are like the cinematic trilogy. Hellraiser 4, though, was released in the States in cinemas, but I saw it on video. And that is quite interesting because... I mean, even though it's directed by Alan Smithy, a.k.a. the director disowned it, it sort of tells a multi-generational story from of the creation of the of the puzzle box, which is called the Manchans configuration or the Lament configuration. It's about the creation of this puzzle box, which opens the gates to hell, and it takes us right up into the end where Pinhead dies. And that's kind of not a spoiler because we all know how our horror icons die and come back. Is that the one where Adam Scott plays the French aristocrat? Yes, <laughs> and also it ends up in space, so. 
nothing which then happens in the other sequels doesn't ever suggest that Pinhead won't end up eventually in space and dying. Um, so anyway, then five is directed by Scott Derrickson. He of um, is it the Black Phone? The Doctor Black Strange, Doctor the first Strange. film. Yeah, I was just trying to think of his earlier work. Was it The Exorcism of Emily Rose? Something like that. A few people have been trying to reappraise that, saying, A, it's actually not so bad, but that's another, it's a basically a rip-off of Seven detective-type film. A lot of these sequels involve detectives tracking down, like, hell, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, all these people are dead and they're holding a puzzle box. What could be the key? I don't... See, this is where I get a bit confused. One of them, like, the original protagonist Kirsty Cofton she comes back um for like one film and makes a proper deal with with Pinhead um there's another one uh <laughs> there's another one all like, the last two right the last two were directed by a man called Gary T uh Tunnicliffe um who actually does I think makeup in Hellworld and he professes to be a really big Harry's a fan those are the only two though which don't have Doug Bradley in it I think he was like and they're also they're all made to retain the rights as well. I mean, the, the series of films we're talking about today, they're all kind of made by the the Weinstein's and Miramax just to keep the rights. Um, yeah, I, through their Dimension Films. I I banner, won I, I won those two last films in a competition by Zavi, and I'm pretty sure I won them because I was like the only person to <laughs> enter. Um, and I got a two Blu-rays. One of them worked. One of them didn't. So I'm like, oh great, I want to. Am I really going to contact Xavi to get, like, a shit film? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I think I've talked far too much about the Harris sequels. So should we... Talk should we... about... <laughs> talk far too much about one of them. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> Hellworld. So Hellraiser Hellworld is the eighth film and is the last film to feature Doug Bradley as Pinhead. Um, it was directed by Rick Bota who previously was a director of photography on the likes of Tales from the Crypt, both the TV series and the Demon Knight movie. Uh, he also was director of photography on Barb Wire with Pamela Anderson and the House on Haunted Hill remake. Uh, he directed this film as well as Hellseeker and Deader, which was the other Hellraiser film released in 2005. So these two yes. films, Hellraiser, Deader and Hellraiser Hellworld were basically shot consecutively back-to-back due to contractual obligations to film, I think, two Hellraiser movies in Romania, mm -hmm. which um, it seems like a lot of stuff, and probably Uwe Boll movies were, were sort of exploiting this kind of tat loophole yeah. or something about filming in the time. And actually, I think a couple of the cast members I read on IMDb just so happened to be in this film because they were wrapping up other horror movie direct-to-DVD <laughs> sort of sequels at the same time, so it's... Clearly, there was like this cottage film industry of horror film spin-offs that needed to be shot quickly and cheaply. And oh yeah, who's around? Oh yeah, they're just yeah. like wrapping up on the fake two, <laughs> the fake blood families of where is it Romania? Yeah, with eating well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was like, hey, where did you get all this fake blood from? And they're like, fake. <laughs> <laughs> But um, like you mentioned, this was based on a short story which had nothing to do with Hellraiser and then reworked into a Hellraiser film. Um, and I suppose the things to kind of mention up top, what's sort of notable about it is um, a few of the key cast members. Yeah. So we have um, horror movie stalwart uh, Lance Henriksen, yeah. um, who was originally cast, I think, as Frank Cotton of the first oh. Hellraiser movie, but then chose to do Near Dark instead. 
So either he was cast or he was in the running for the part of Frank Cotton in the first Hellraiser movie. So he makes his, I guess, long uh, ingestation, you know, finally his debut in the Hellraiser franchise. I, I did not know that. Um, but we've, I think we've mentioned him in passing in relation to his role as the Mushroom King in Super Mario Brothers. Yep. Um, and more recently he's actually kind of made a few key sort of mocap digital appearances in video games like Detroit Become Human and this year's The Quarry. Is he going to be in one of these House of the Dead films that we're doing? Uh, I think he's in Alone in the Dark 2. Alone in the Dark 2, okay. Okay, so, you know, we may, we may see old Lance again. Um, but obviously, you know, he's well known as we mentioned, Near Dark, Aliens, um, all sorts of stuff, the Millennium, the the X-Files TV show. He's, he's one of those people who's been killed by an alien, a predator, and a Terminator, I think. It's kind of like the horror sci-fi EGOT. He's, he's been killed by a pinhead. Spoilers. <laughs> What's that called? That's like Predator, Alien, Terminator, a pat. a pat. He's a pat. He's a pat. He's a, got, he's a patty. Uh, is Bill Paxton one as well? Bill Paxton is one. I feel, sadly, I think because they've made like more and more... Or it's, it's less impressive the more Predator and Alien films they've been making. I'm sorry, <laughs> but your gilded trophy is just worth ever so slightly less. A couple of the leads have been in many kind of like TV stuff. There's Catherine Winnick who plays the character Chelsea. She's been in stuff like Vikings, Wu Assassins, Bones. You have... Christopher Jackot plays the character of Jake, who does a lot of TV and appeared in the video games Watch Dogs 1 and 2. But I guess sort of most notably, we have Kari Payton, who plays the character of Derek, and he's probably best known as King Ezekiel in the Walking Dead Mm -hmm. TV series, him with the dreads and the tiger. Um, (laughs) He also voiced Mr. Blue in the Reservoir Dogs video game, which... Oh! (laughs) He does a lot of voiceover work, but it's just like, oh yeah, there was a Reservoir Dogs video game. There was this yeah. period in the kind of PlayStation 2 era where there was like Godfather games. There's a Fight Club Reservoir game. Games. Yeah, all these things which either missed the point or just... I really want to play the Fight Club game because I want to see how much I missed the point. Or like there was a Sopranos video game. So I mean, Man, That's a special episode. <laughs> PlayStation 2 missing the point binge. Yeah. But I suppose most famous amongst the cast list, the character of Mike is played by Henry Cavill of The Witcher and Superman fame. Yes, Henry Cavill! <laughs> <laughs> and he, I mean, he's interesting in that he is like king of the nerds in the sense that he is a big PC gamer nut I mean, I, I think and Warhammer fan. I have... I think I've mentioned in an earlier episode, I've really changed my opinion of him. I think we're just talking about fantasy one of our fantasy films we've done i can't even remember which but um yeah i just watched the witcher because henry cavill's in it and i think i took against him because i don't really like his superman films but also i think he seems really because this is the period this harrison film came out when he was like being in the running for lots of things like i think he was in the running for superman even like in the brandon ralph period and then he was in the running to play bond and for I just got this impression, I guess from all the media reporting, that he felt almost like owed these sort of magnificent roles. But now that you've got to know the person, it's not I don't actually know him, but, <laughs> you know, you follow him on Instagram and you're right, he's a complete dork. And, yeah, I mean, he's like one of the main reasons I was like, oh, I actually would like to watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like the 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 world of horror movie sequels is paved with people who went on to become far more successful. There's many examples. 
Um, so that was definitely an attraction to go and re- like visit an early performance from. And Lance, um, I like, I, know, I like Lance Henriksen a lot. Like he can, he has got one of those voices which can make any bullshit sound convincing. He's just got that lo- the low register, which I very much enjoyed. So I'm always keen to see what he's doing. Mm. But, you know, it also makes sense because of his nerdy credentials. Just for instance, uh, with Henry Cavill, there's a story that he missed the phone call from Zack Snyder telling him he got the role of Superman um, because he was too busy playing World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think there was like this video which went around a couple of years ago where he was just at home building a PC. It was just like... Yes, I saw that. <laughs> it was just like, here's Henry Cavill building his like... Brand new gaming PC. And there's like another video recently where he visited like Warhammer uh, studios or something to look at the new Warhammer models. And it's like the, you know, kid in a candy store. Yeah. And I think just if ever he goes on these talk shows where people like want to take the piss out of him. And he's like, no, Uh, he doesn't rise to it. It's like, yeah, I love Warhammer. What of it? Yeah. There's nothing they can do about it. It's only the most successful company in the UK. I know. (laughs) know. I actually, I was talking to a friend about this yesterday, how I used to be, you know, when you're younger, you're maybe a bit more of a horrible nerd and more gatekeeper-y. And I was, I was really like down on people who like Warhammer. And then I went into a store once just to kind of take the piss. And I just said to the dearest clerk, yeah, show me like your Warhammer, I don't know, 40,000 or something. And the guy was super helpful and nice. And I left the store, I was like... Yeah, I was being a complete dick, and... Barely... And you left the store with a massive Warhammer, <laughs> Warhammer, Warhammer collection. Just like, I got 500 quids worth oh, of Warhammer Oh, God, I've been ripped. Oh, dear me, I've been completely... Oh, no. Yeah, so I think that, for me, was a lesson where don't shit on what people like. Just enjoy Just do a podcast like. about Just it. Just do a podcast about it. <laughs> um, well, I, I guess that sort of tees up Hellraiser Hellworld. We should probably do a brief kind of synopsis just to kind sure. of like ease people in if we're ready to talk about the film itself yeah i'm going to a real life secret hell world party <laughs> hellraisers let's play welcome hellraisers invitations that's what i'm talking about i wouldn't touch that If you need anything, just scream. Welcome to hell. So this comes from the Miramax official website. Okie dokie. Is that still going? Uh, it is. Well, I think because they, they, the Weinsteins, they sold Miramax before, and then they set up the Weinstein Company. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to talk about this. We're, <laughs> we're not giving them any money. <laughs> I mean, we purchased this, you know, so we could watch I it mean, again. I mean, if we don't open envelopes from the Miramax Corporation, <laughs> then we don't know what's in them. So the tagline is, evil goes online. Mm, that would be the worst place to find evil. Luckily, the internet is completely free of evil. <laughs> I remember going onto the Hellbound web, which was like a website for Hellraiser fans back in the day. I missed the days of good old fan sites, you know, 
And I know there's things like the ring.net now, but I just remember it was just a, a more innocent time. Yeah. Well, the other tagline is the newest, most horrific tale. Oh. Just not even in Hellraiser films, <laughs> just in ever. Of all tales, tales of all as eldest time. Okay, so here's the uh, synopsis from the, the back website. of the box. <laughs> Don't open that. Who wrote on my box? <laughs> A group of teenagers have become big fans of the latest Hellraiser video game. So much so that they create a tribute website called Hellworld.com, which simulates a digital lament configuration in cyberspace. However, Pinhead is not at all happy with this turn of events. <laughs> Oi! Stop that! And decides to take action against them, luring them to a party where their frightening fantasies become a far more disturbing reality. What was the website called again? Hellworld.com? Hellworld.com. I'm going to Google. Hellworld.com. <laughs> Sorry, let me just... Am I on flight just, mode? Just to... um, I mean, that synopsis is not the film we watched, right? No. But I guess it kind of sets up a little bit of the ideas behind it, that we are talking tangentially about video games. We are talking about websites... And evil going online, and we're talking about Pinhead and a group of teenagers in a party. Well, just to let you know, Hellworld.com is for sale. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, Watch the space. Yeah, maybe it will redirect to the Games on Film website before you know it. <laughs> so, Hellraiser Hellworld, Harry. So you hadn't watched this Hellraiser sequel, but as a fan of the franchise... <laughs> what are your initial non-spoilery thoughts? Yeah, I think we're going to have to say non-spoilery, because... I, having not even seen this film, I was well aware of what the ultimate plot was going to be. I've listened to a few Hellraiser podcasts. I went on the Hellbound web website to tell me what the plot was. So I kind of knew where I was going to go. So here's the thing, though. Um, I was approaching this film with extreme trepidation. So all, all these films have been a bit of a slog. They're normally following a detective, uncovering some mystery. And you know what it is. The mystery is, it's Pinhead. <laughs> um so anyway, this one, this one though, this one, I had a lot of fun with. Um, I watched the first 20 minutes and I was really enjoying myself, but I was mindful of how we watched The King of Fighters. And I told you there, I was really rocking the first 20 minutes and then I went totally downhill. I feel this one does sag in the middle, but I still had a lot of fun. It's very much lifted by performances like Henry Cavill and Lance Henriksen. And it, come, it is a bit twisty. Now, if you examine any of the twists in this film for any length of time, it will make so little sense that you start to sort of doubt your own existence. <laughs> but I will say, as a Hellraiser film, no. But <laughs> but um, for like for the first time in any of these director video sequels, I and I, I enjoyed quite a lot. So, as always with caveats, for good or ill, is this a great film? No. But if you're a Hellraiser fan with a sense of humour, then you can... This is probably my favourite Hellraiser sequel outside the first trilogy. Just just for, for, for pure yucks. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. If you're looking for a schlocky 2005 straight-to-DVD horror movie, you could do far worse than Hellraiser Hellworld. 
I think the... I, I agree. If you're looking for a Hellraiser sequel, you ain't gonna find it here. And there are reasons for that. I think partially unintentionally. <laughs> I think they try to do Hellraiser-y stuff. But also, intentionally, there are maybe, like, other aspects at play. And the fact that this is a video game movie in the mildest sense, yeah. the video game-ness really just sort of is like the jumping off point and it, it doesn't, you know, really kind of factor in much in the in the, in the the rest of the movie, apart from everyone saying like, this ain't a game anymore or yeah. you thought th- this was just a game. I think this will be the least amount of video games we ever have on these films. Like, um, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the video game at the, you know, centre, quote-unquote, uh, of this film once we get into spoiler territory, I suppose. I think the issue is that the film is cleverer than it has any right to be, but also, as a result, makes no sense. It's one of those things where it it's creates... It's like, like Tenant. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things where it's like... It comes at you with various different twists and turns. And as you say, none of it holds up to any sort of scrutiny. You know, any kind of attempt at maybe sort of what's real, what's not real, or dreamlike state or not. Sometimes it's hard to tell whether that's just down to bad editing choices. Mm. (laughs) Or not knowing how to, like, construct a a montage or or a sequence and things. Because there's, like, sometimes just really odd... Is this a flashback? Is this happening now? Is this the future? Is this the past? It's and those are often very good, um, you know, things to explore in a horror film. But yes. as long as it's intentional, yeah. Here, I I'd be interested in a director's commentary, almost just to sort of unpick what's going on. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of stupid stuff, but I, I think you know one of the strengths is that. You have this, yeah, group of teenagers or, or whatever. Um, I found them all pretty interesting. Like, in terms of, you know, horror slasher fodder, I, I mean, I, say I, 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 wouldn't, of... I wouldn't agree with everything that they do. And, and, you know, yeah, you have the two guys who are just like super horny pervs. But that works in a Hellraiser context because, you, you know, as you mentioned, you have this kind of like sets and death, pleasure and pain thing. Mm. And, you know, they go to this party to get laid and, and that sort of thing. And like Hellraisers, like fans of the Hellraiser is... game know how to party. I know. It's Everyone's like a... into that horny, pervy shit. They go to a big party for fans of this video game. And I'm just, it's just making me wonder now how lusty a Warhammer convention might be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like compared to, what's it, Space Voyager fans? <laughs> oh God, yeah, they say the difference between Space Voyager fans... And Hellraiser fans, it's Hellraisers know how to party. And I was like, oh, I feel so seen. I want to be their friends. I want to live as well. We go to Hellraiser conventions in a safe BDSM free environment. Because <laughs> it's like, if, oh, did, we, did we have a rave in King of Fighters? I think we did. It, mm. I can't. It's been, we've been to so many raves in these films now. I, I mean, struggle. House of the Dead had the, on had, beach party. Had rave. the rave. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a rave no, beyond the grave. Yeah. But, so, I guess what I'm hearing from you is that it's it's a lot of fun. Um... Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's... There's there's a, there's more to it than I expected. I, I Again, I did not expect it to have much video game stuff. I also did not expect it to have actually like a huge amount of Hellraiser stuff. Like, I expected just like a teen slasher with Hellraiser references and trappings, and that's what I got. But also, it was... 
a bit more entertaining. I agree. It does sag in the middle when you're the whole, I'm not sure what's going on and all the characters sort of split up and have their own quests slash deaths. It does get very like bogged down. And then towards the end, it's like, you know, exposition dumps to try and explain it all. And that's fun. But then again, makes no sense. It's kind of like Grandpa describing how he had an onion tied to his belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, I'm doing this because X, Y, and Z, and where was I again? So, yeah. I, I think, you know, it's spooky season, so I, I think people's, like, tolerance for bad movie threshold goes down a bit because people just want any kind of, like, hokey, schlocky fun. And I think it's not... I mean, it's not scary. It's a bit... It's a bit bloody at, at times you know so I, I appreciated that it did retain some of the hardcore gore that you would expect from hellraiser movies but yeah if you want to see you know before they were famous mm. <laughs> actors tangle with some demons and spooky stuff yeah it's and I, I think also you know with in hindsight watching people play around with like old nokia chunky phones or oh, yeah. like <laughs> bad flash websites and and that kind of stuff like you know you got a layer of this sort of fun nostalgia laced in it so yeah it's not a good film it's it's a bit confusing and hey but i, I <laughs> I I think it, it it does it does what it can and <laughs> I I I did have a, a fairly fun time. Well, shall we deep dive into spoiler territory then? Um, with anything specific? I mean, I'm interested to know because I, I because I've been listening to all these Harry's podcasts for like years and I kind of knew where the plot was going. Um, the big kind of twist about this all is that. Actually, I, bet, I think I should provide some context before we talk about the twist. So the film starts with um, these friends, a group of friends, at the funeral of their friend Adam, who became so addicted to the Hellworld video game, based on the Hellraiser films, question mark? Yeah. Um, so this is like an out... This is a world in which Hellraiser exists as a franchise. That's the important difference. It's a bit meta. It kind of recalls um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, where the Nightmare on Elm Street films are real, and then like the whatever Freddy represents starts bleeding into the real world. Or like, yeah, how in the Scream films there's Stab. Yeah, sort of franchise and any you know, of that. The sort confusing of thing. thing again. God, I'm really. This is going to be a very hard film to talk about because part, partly because half of it doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but so I'll start again. These this game Hellworld seems to be based on the Hellraiser Hellraiser franchise, but we never make mention of the films. And then later on, despite it basically being a video game, there seems to be a lot of real world. I you know puzzle boxes. They uh, the host played by Lance Henriksen of his big party. He he invites the players of this game to his mansion where he's having a big party. But he has has this room full of Hellraiser iconography. And you're like, so is aren't like yeah. puzzle boxes real here? He says it's Leviathan House, and he says it was designed by the person who also created the configuration box. Yes, as well. So, yeah, I've got a lot of questions about... <laughs> so, before... I, I, I think maybe before we get into the twist. Yes. Because I think that's a lot to talk about. But i just like to talk about Hellworld the game. Yes. 
which so, we see for like less than five seconds. So yes, what is Hellraiser in this film world is the question. Is it a franchise beyond the game? Is this the game adapted from existing source material? Like the films. Yeah. And there's no real idea what it is because everyone refers to it in that sense. But like you say, there's all this existing iconography and people are aware of it. One of the characters, I think the main one, Chelsea, is a bit like, oh, it's not real. Like, you know, Hellraiser is not a thing. Cenobites aren't real, that kind of stuff. So I don't know whether she's referring to the fact that they like only exist within the game or just it's like a Slender Man thing where it's like an urban legend and then there's like a Slender Man video game which comes out of it. I mean, weirdly, speaking of Clive Barker, I struggle to say Candyman five times. <laughs> I think everyone does. And it's, it's such a, a unique idea that it was completely made up in the early 90s for this film. And then like people even today struggle to yeah. say it. But that's the thing. I mean, unlike a film like Stay Alive, um, which we covered previously in the podcast about a video game which if you play it the blood countess from a game kills you and the blood countess is based on actual legend they sort of dig more into the origins of the game here we you know to talk partially about what the twist isn't Mm -hmm. they're not trapped in a video game which is what would usually happen in a video game movie the host of this party he's not the developer of the game the game we never find out who made the game where it mm. comes from, whether it's someone who made it inspired by Hellraiser or whatever. All we know is that the group of friends, their friend Adam, liked the game so much he died. No, yes. he, he burnt to death. He became really addicted because there's, they were at, we joined them at a funeral. Everyone's very chatty at this funeral. It's like, come on, show us respect. And it's a closed casket. And then everyone goes up to have a look at the casket. And one of the friends just can't resist opening it. Which I, I empathise with. I'm always... I'm curious. <laughs> but... And then she opens it, and then she's, she's attacked with a jump scare, which did get me. There was actually a few jump scares in this, which really made me jump. <laughs> okay. Which uh, I'm usually I'm not a big fan of jump scares, because I think they're cheap. But I think a few times here, you know, the director was able to make me... To, to zig when I was expecting it to zag. But I think she that scene when she's opening the coffin, that's a dream sequence because I think we cut to her waking up yeah, somewhere. Yeah. The film cuts to two years later where they're all playing this game again. Just you know, if you if your friend died because he played a game too two much years later? There's like a little subtitle oh, okay. which says two years later. So if your friend died playing this game, would you return to it? Well it's a really addictive game probably, even though it looks like a stupid flash game. Well yeah, okay, so that's the other thing. So they talk about it. You know, at his funeral, they say, like, it was just a stupid game. We were all addicted to Hellworld. We should have seen this coming, but we couldn't stop that. And we have to live with it now. And I think um, Chelsea, the like, I guess the lead, she sort of mentions that she plays it. She's kind of chastising her friends for playing it again because of, you know, what happened to Adam. Mm-hmm. But then later on, she, like, gets onto it again. And she says, like, it's an ultraviolent 24-hour internet role-playing game. Yeah, but we just see, like, the title screen or the menu... And like so, what we see is a siege is a three D box. You tickle with your mouse cursor, and there's always close ups of the mouse. I know you're going to touch it just a certain way. It's basically a flash browser puzzle game. Yeah, Pixel and, Hunter. You know, it's it's barely more advanced than Wordle or something. It's it's you. <laughs> God, well, does this open up the question of like so in the Harry's franchise? There's this puzzle box. It's like a glossy Rubik's Cube. If you solve it, that opens the gates to hell. 
the films kind of fudge whether or not it's really hard to open the box or if the box wants to be opened. But there's like how is a comics where I've read where it's the box is just a version of getting to hell and there's lots of other artifacts you could use to get to hell. And so you talking about Wordle, it's like, well, what what would be... <laughs> if you were doing like a reboot, but with tote from whole cloth, <laughs> I wonder what you would use to enter enter hell. You saw the Sudoku. Yeah, exactly. Sudoku. I wrote 666. <laughs> All the sixes. Oh. Um, Minesweeper. But... Okay, so Adam... He got so immersed into Hellworld, he is seen digging a hole in the ground, he's got lacerations on his body, and then he ultimately pours gasoline on himself and sets himself on fire. Mm. He got so immersed into a Flash browser game, which is basically just like a (sighs) puzzle thing you just click with a mouse. Like, what? I just... you. (laughs) <laughs> I just this don't, is why I, you I, need antivirus software I can understand you know sh- sure like you know an online MMORPG or whatever gets so immersed into it it's not like virtual reality it's not like the lawnmower man or something where it changes someone it's him just clicking on a little box on the screen it's, oh, it's like if someone got so obsessed with emptying the recycle bin on their desktop <laughs> like just <laughs> I, you don't see anything of the game to suggest it's in any way addictive. Mm. We're and just I, told that it is. We're just told that it is. And I'm not expecting a film of this budget or, or level to necessarily create a, a, a polygon realm of it, you know, to show us like, oh, wow, it's sort of so immersive. It's not like arcade or something <laughs> where... You know, but they don't even do anything like that. They create basically the front page of a browser website with Pinhead saying, like, what's your pleasure? I'll tell your story apart. And, you know, like little um, WAV files. What's up, Mike? What? I need to grip a hundred bucks for this thing on the internet. Didn't it scare you at all? Mike, Cinnabites don't exist. And even if they did, I never opened the Lamont configuration, which, as we know, isn't really real anyway. You talk the talk pretty good. Someone's not really into it anymore. What are you doing? Something amazing, Charles. Oh, my curiosity's gone. Funny you should ask. Dare to enter hell? You've just been invited to the fifth annual secret Hell World party. Be at the Leviathan House. Leviathan House. Mike, I'm over it. We've been through this before. Oh, what? So now you're above it all? Mm. You can count me out. We will. Please. You may want to spend quality time with the Hellraiser Geek Brigade, but Derek and Allison would never waste a perfectly good Friday night in Hellworld. The wall walker's right behind you! No, the wall walker's right behind me. All right, here you go. Easy to get him. Oh. I can't believe it, the box! Oh, come on, come on, open it! I'm trying, I'm trying. Oh, Allison, you're all herky-jerky here. Come in, you gotta finesse it. Huh? What's your pleasure? Holy 
sugar. I did it. I'm going to a real life secret hell world party. But what about me? I so yeah, it's a big ask. It's to it's, to to to. to it's a real suspension it. of disbelief that you have to imagine that all the pain and sorrow and everything that leads them to go to this hell world party that they're invited to and the invitations, you know, they have to solve this puzzle box to get this invitation. And it's not like it's you get like just everyone gets the same invitation, which yeah. they have to print out on their color printer. So in order to get into this party, it's not like, you know, there's like a serial code or a barcode or whatever. It's just like, let me see your invitations. It's just like, oh, what the printout that everyone's you know, what, got. What I found very amusing. So, yeah, they they solve the online puzzle box and they get an invitation to the special Hell World party, which I think is the address is 86 Hellbound Drive or something. <laughs> um, but when they show the invites, they're clearly not from a, a home printer. They're like the glossiest print. Yeah, they come from like a proper professional print store. And the same, I think, invites are stuck up all over the inside of the mansion of blue tax so i don't know pretty pretty dodgy they all decide to go here anyway and they're introduced this so lance hangerson plays the host he's the host of the party and so again more quite confusingly i'm assuming everyone at this part well i was assuming everyone at this party also won the competition but as the story progresses the host says no it's just you five solve the box you come to my office and he shows them a load of artifacts and like someone sprays her face with like i guess really old perfume perfume or uh, other people he there's a round of drinks um i think henry cavill he picks up a pinhead tarot card and again just so many delightful um responses he goes like <laughs> i think what like what sets this apart as well is that these teens are into this shit. Yes. Like, usually when it's, like, a horror movie, it's like, oh, I don't want to go into the creepy house. But when, like, the host leads them down to, like, the specimen jars and this, like, you know, he, they're talking about, oh, this old house that used to be a convent and then, like, Sister Ursula, she solved the puzzle bots and, like, unleashed hell. And then it was an asylum and now it's haunted. And they're like, cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They're literally taken down to like a chamber of horrors with all these um like body parts and like fetuses in like formaldehyde, and that's where another jump scare happens. Where there's a Derek um who's an asthmatic, and I bring that up because he's like the worst inhalation technique I've ever seen. I live with an asthmatic, and you're meant to spray and hold in your breath, but he goes and then doesn't breathe it in. Anyway. He's looking at one of these fetuses, and then the fetus like jerks at, and I'm like, ah! <laughs> uh, so that's a good jump scare. But yeah, as you say, they're really into it. And yeah, I'd love to see like a film in which like Star Trek fans go to a haunted Star Trek convention <laughs> and like get killed by Klingons or whatever. So that's a similar thing. But what did you what did you think of the party? Do you think did was it hip? Was it cool? Well, okay, so this is why I'm getting really confused. I'm, we're gonna spoil the territory now. We do find out that, like, and in the scene in which they're all given drinks or spraying perfume on each other or touching tainted tarot cards, that they're being drugged. And then at some vague point during the court series of events, everything they then see are hallucinations. 
But this opens up crazy questions about how, where did all the people from this party go? I think the film makes you want to think all the party goers were hallucinations, but they walk through the party to get to the room where they're drugged. So there was definitely loads of people. I mean, there's a, there is a gratuitous tit shot, which is then called out by the characters themselves, which I literally thought was hilarious. Uh, a lady walked down some stairs, she opens her shirt, you see boobies, and Derek says, oh, gratuitous tit shot. And I thought, is it justified if you lampshade it? But then Mike says, necessary tit shot. True, okay. <laughs> but, I mean, are they aware they're being filmed? Because <laughs> why would you say tit shot when I see some boobs? Um, the the premise is, is that, yes, like, what we see from a certain point is, like, nightmare-induced, well, sort of hallucinatory nightmare. So it's not not quite they're all trapped in a video game. It's not quite it was all a dream. It's it's sort of, it's all a kind of waking nightmare that they're experiencing. And I think, yes, it is a big party. All the guests are actually there. Mm-hmm. The host is having a big party. When the cops come, the cops do come because there's a big party happening. Well, it is in the middle of nowhere, so there wouldn't be a noise disturbance. Yeah, but, they, you know, the cops come because Chelsea calls the cops. Yes. Um... But, so, but, yeah, sorry, no, 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 no. she calls no. them while she's in a hallucination, maybe? Yes, yes, because they all have mobile phones. So, <laughs> but, so, you know, it's it's the most kind of elaborate revenge ruse you could possibly imagine. So you do have to get on board with a lot of, you know, the what-ifs that emerge during the big kind of reveal. But there is definitely a party that they all go to that exists. initially. All the massive people there swinging pizzabot. What they then experience from that point is all created in their mind's eye. Yeah. But obviously with certain Darren Brown style suggestive material yeah. and because, you know, because A, they've seen a party B, they're now hallucinating and C, they've all got mobile phones. D, they love Hellraiser. And so D, I they guess. love Hellraiser. So... A lot of their... So, we find out at the end of the film that rather than... Instead of walking around the mansion like they all thought they were, at some point, they were drugged and taken to these six graves and then buried alive with a mobile phone beside them. Where So, Lance Henriksen, a.k.a. the host, a.k.a. Adam's dad can suggest nightmares to them via the mobile phone. <laughs> but, like, again, is it... He's talking to them on this one Nokia phone. Is that phone transmitting to all five of them? Or is he calling no. them one at a time? I think and then they pick up? He's got them all in his uh, friends and family list, so he gets sort of discounts on, a, on the calls and texts. I think at one point, like, he... It's revealed that when he speaks down the phone, it's changes his voice so it's somebody else's voice but i think i don't think it changes the voice i think it's again just nightmare induced sure i think it's you know he's calling from different phones which uh, like they get the prompts and see that it's so and so calling Mm -hmm. and you know so there's moments in the film where they pick up the phone they think they're talking to someone and then that other person is actually there and they're hallucinating them and or they're talking to someone else yeah. So it's all that kind of what's real and what's real and what is real is it's always Lance Henriksen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Much. And but like um yeah, I'm sure there's a point when he's doing when Lance Henriksen is doing his sort of what I did speech. <laughs> um 
when he seems to have very intimate knowledge of details that he couldn't have possibly suggested and that only the teenagers could have seen. I think, um, you know, it's, it's, again, it's very hard to pin down what he actually said, but I'm saying that it, it, it seems that he would need to know what we, the audience, were seeing beyond any possibility that he suggested it. I don't know. It's like... um. It's just very confusing and, and very elaborate. I want to know, though... Well, uh, first of all, um, have you seen the film Pumpkinhead? Yes. And in that film, Lance Harrison summons demons to help do his dirty work because of a dead son. <laughs> so he's got a he's got a, a favourite kind of film, or a.k.a. two films he's been in, or similar thing. Um, I want to know, though, did you suspect that he was, like, Adam's dad or had some sort of personal connection to Adam? Um, no, I wasn't really thinking in that respect. I was just trying to work out... There is, like, clearly telltale signs of what's real, what's not real. Um, I didn't know whether it was because they kind of fight the idea, is he Pinhead in, like, a sort of guise? I thought it was maybe, oh, they're all dead. I thought, oh, maybe they're trapped in a video game. I wasn't really thinking, oh, they're all sort of buried alive and they're having sort of nightmare hallucinations and actually... We don't... The, any kind of moment you see Pinhead in this film, mm-hmm. virtually, it's not him. Yeah. It's all imagined. And it also explains why, for the most part, when you do see Cenobites and Pinhead in this film, he's just acting like a bog-standard slasher punk. It's like, it explains why one of the characters... Pinhead just shows up and then just cuts his head off with like a big ad. Yeah. And it's just like, that's not his style. Exactly. So I guess the thing which distinguishes Pinhead from most of his ilk is that he's very talkative and you can bargain with him. Uh, I think his nearest competitor would be Freddy Krueger. But even I think even Freddy Krueger, it's not about negotiating with him. And what's quite cool about the Harrizer films is that we do seem to have some sort of code and there are times when, again, this depends on whether or not the film's interested in following any sort of like internal logic. Um, but in a lot of the Harry's films, they someone consulted the box and they won't take the person away because it was an accident. So I think in Harry's two, he says, it does not hands that some of us, it is desire. When Pinhead shows up here, grabs a machete and just <laughs> literally cuts a man's head off. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but as you say, you find out at the end that the real quote-unquote pinhead never shows up in this film. And so he's perfectly... It's perfectly fine for him to act in an uncharacteristic way. However, and this is why things get really confusing, well, if his games are based on the films and if the people he's killing are hallucinating pinhead, and the people who are hallucinating are massive Hellraiser fans... Why would they hallucinate Pinhead killing him like he's Jason Voorhees? Because they're probably hallucinating Pinhead as he appears in the Hell World video game. Yes. I which is like probably a... just like, you know, we've seen it. I don't think it's probably got very good. It's a very good game. No. Right? He uh, probably does just walk around with an axe and just like spouts shitty dialogue. And also, yeah, he will, he will say things like, things are just beginning. It's like, oh... I bet that doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> I mean, are we... I mean, we're sort of an hour into the film. <laughs> and, like, spoilers for the very end. Alain Tangrenson, the final scene, really, is... Uh, well, it's not really the final scene, is it? But 
we, we, we rejoin Lance Henriksen having done completed his works and lo and behold he's playing with the puzzle box and the real Pinhead shows up and then kills him quite handily and with, with some bad CGI. Uh, the last thing that Doug Bradley ever says as Pinhead is, how's that for a wake-up call? Um, okay. <laughs> well, but, but, but just to say, so if this, if, if this is a world where Hellraiser is a, a created IP video game or movies, but then the real Pinhead shows up, it's, it's like it's like it's like if the real Satan showed up and he looked exactly like I don't know Ned Flanders as the devil. I think this what happened was okay. So <laughs> Lance Henriksen, Adam's dad, the host's plan is he wants to take revenge on all these teenagers who weren't there to save his son because they got him addicted to this video game, which ultimately led to his death. That says a lot about parents' view about violent video games. Yada yada yada. His very, very, very elaborate plan, which couldn't possibly go according, you know, it, it, it goes off pretty well, considering all the what ifs and yeah. buts and stuff. So he honestly didn't expect that to work. <laughs> we join him in the hotel room in the final scene. He's like, I really didn't expect that to work. He's like Trump after the election. He's like, oh God, I was, I was going to talk a good game and then get arrested. And then somehow these idiots... <laughs> So he lures these teens to this party and he sets up this big party. He, you know, it's an official do, but he knows specifically he wants these five teens to come. So he knows certain ones will come. The way he kind of uh, catfishes one of them who was, is the character Jake, who was Adam's best friend. And maybe I think there was some sort of sexual thing well, going on. I thought we know, they were brothers when I forgot. No, wait a minute, it's all involving his dad, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's, like, lots of him having, like, flashbacks and hallucinations about, sort of, topless Adam and, like, them being really kind of close, but he's there to meet a girl at this party. Turns out that girl was Lance Henriksen, mm. uh, who lured him <laughs> in uh, to I mean, come to the party. If Lance Henriksen surprised me, I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jake then does have sets with the vision of sister ursula question yeah mark. i couldn't work out i mean again know, it's an hallucination so it's probably just habit he's probably just jerking off in his coffin yeah i mean i guess just on on that note um so i mean all these people are in coffins while hallucinating and they all die anyway but when they are like imagining when the guy's imagining he's been cut his head's been cut off by pinhead he's having basically an asthma attack yes and there's one of the ladies she um, she hallucinates she's in a chair there's a good line which Lance Harrington says he goes so it's like a, some sort of torture chair and he goes relax it's perfectly safe unless the cutting blades are engaged <laughs> which is funny and but, then he says oh now they're engaged <laughs> now they're but it turns out when she's in the meanwhile in the coffin she's scratching her, no, her, her own neck so she bleeds to death I think because because he's trying to kind of create this as the ultimate hell world, par- hell world party, so he needs to get all this iconography. So there's like a giant lament configuration bot sort of rotating. And that's about that. it. There's like some neon, but that's that's about it. So he sort of dresses up the room. It's like The Apprentice. This team had to create the ultimate hell world party. <laughs> they blew off their budget on one spinning cube. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, I... I, I want that in my back garden spinning around <laughs> yeah where is that right now um so in order to sort of make it look like the ultimate hell world party 
he he gets all this like these he probably just goes to eBay and like types in Hellraiser or Hellworld and gets all these knickknacks and including Lament Configuration boxes and he hands one at one point to Jake and it sort of like falls and shatters again. It's probably a hallucination. Um, but he probably unwittingly like ordered online a real Lament Configuration yes. box. Okay. So He's doing this stuff. He doesn't. He doesn't believe. It's like the Antics Roadshow, where like a Ming vase someone had from a charity <laughs> shop is like several thousand pounds. Yeah, and this one is accidentally the actual gateway to hell. Yeah, bargain hunt. <laughs> he got it for one pound fifty, <laughs> and now his prize eternal hell. damnation. <laughs> yeah, um, is that a minus or a plus in the ultimate you well, know, you know, bargain hunt? Demons prize? to some, hell, heaven, angels to others. Yeah, and... I know Tim Wanacott says that. The ultimate bargain <laughs> hunt. <laughs> Ready for more bargain hunting? Demons to some? Angels to others? Yes. So, he doesn't... I don't think anyone believes Hellraiser or Hellworld or Pinhead is a real thing in this situation. It just so happens, though, he accidentally ordered mm-hmm. a real Lament Confederation box. So, even the sort of teens who live or die or survive the experience, because they've all hallucinated this stuff, they probably also don't believe in you know, Pinhead's real because it's just like, oh, turns out it was all a nightmare. And when he's playing with this bots in the hotel room, it's very much kind of like, ah, oh, what the hell? <laughs> he's just like <laughs> sort of playing with his bots, da 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 you know, like saying, yeah, sure, I'll say Candyman five times, see what happens. Just, I'll say just... six times. Gonna see how many times I'll say Candyman yeah. before he kills me. What if I just say it um, very long, just go, Candyman. <laughs> what if I spell it? Don't know. What if I say it in a different language? Yeah. Le Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, what, but, what would be Candyman in French? Come on, what's what's the French for sweets? Uh, bonbon home? Bonbon home. Bonbon home, bonbon home. Bonbon home, bonbon home. Say that very quickly. Well, yeah, that's the thing. No one can do it because it's a tongue twister. But the way he reacts when actual pinhead and centibites show up is like... He, oh. he kind of looks like a man who's just been told his his luggage has been lost at the airport. <laughs> it's like that is a circle of hell. It is. It's like annoyed, but he's like, oh god, you know, like head in his hands, just like, oh no, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's, it's not like <laughs> he, he couldn't make oh, it. Oh dear, like demons and cenobites are real. I'm not gonna be like sliced into pieces like I'm Bishop and aliens all over again. <laughs> so. I think Lance Harrison just looked like he was pleased that the film was over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure he's like he's giving it his all in this in this film. I think it's it's not a bad performance, but it's very much like I'm here for my check, please, uh, Mm. Mr. Boto. I should have come a long time ago. Hellworld doesn't exist. Your son was quite the prodigy. He opened the gateway to hell. But you never believed yourself, did you? I gotta wake up. I 
How's that for a wake-up call? So what I'm trying to get at is like, as far as revenge plots go, he could have very easily just brought these teens to the party and killed them then and there. He does not have to go through the whole, well, I'll bury them alive and hope that they sort of hallucinate because he wants their suffering to be sweet. He wants them, his, their suffering to mirror the suffering of his son. But... Could have just set them all on fire then. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. Um, so yeah, it, it is maybe... Go big or go home, Rory. I hope when you revenge me, you don't like to set them on fire. I want you, I want you to bury them alive and create a game using Nokia telephones. Yeah, I mean... Uh, haunted versions of Bop It. <laughs> all I'll say is, like, you know, hats off to him for making it as far as he did. Oh, I just realised... With this pin, crazy plot. Pinhead can't ever wear a hat, can he? That's a real... <laughs> no, he just he, wears a tiny hat on each of his pins. He just look very silly wearing, like, a bowler hat. I feel, just a side note, Pinhead's a very hard, difficult... He's a very difficult character to get right in, like, toy form or, like... Other forms, because the plastic nails always look way too big. So he looks like he's got this massive afro all over his face. He looks like a fuzzy wookie. Anyway, that's a first world problem. <laughs> well, do, they should get like those, um, you know, hair and makeup style dolls oh, where it's just a head. But it's like, like Mr. Potato Head, but you just like stick a pin in each oh, of the so little... So good. So that'd be quite sort of therapeutic, I think. I mean, there's a moment... One of the hallucinations is when like Henry Cavill... So like, I want to talk about Henry Cavill a bit more. Um, he ends up dying, and when he dies, I'm like, oh, am I going to enjoy this film just as much? But he actually shows up again after dying as what I described as a semi-bite, because <laughs> he's like, he looks a bit like a Frankenstein monster. He's just got the very lightest of of cenobite detailing on his face. And um, is it Alison who's the... No, yeah, the... she's the British... Yeah, so when, like, Alison and Henry Cavill show up in the funeral, I was like, I completely missed the fact that Henry Cavill was playing an American. And it wasn't for the fact that he wasn't doing a very good American accent. I was just like, I was just really distracted by their British haircuts. <laughs> They're the big book of British haircuts. And I was trying to work out if they brother and sister in the film. And then it was only at the road trip where I realised, oh, no, we don't actually have the same accent. They're, like, completely... <laughs> I don't know. I was just... I guess I just view Henry Cavill so British... Even though he plays Superman. But then, like, so many superheroes are played by Brits for some reason. Anyways. But, like, okay, so uh, Henry Cavill, like, I wanted to say, he there's a bit when he goes, like, he sees a picture of that nun on the wall and he goes, Holy pussy. I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> and then later on, he's having an argument over the phone with his, I guess, girlfriend. But he's getting a blowjob at the same time and then he says to his girlfriend on the phone well you shouldn't have blown me off and then he, he, I feel like he almost looks directly at the camera and shrugs which I thought was hilarious there is this kind of like grimace that he gives when um, after like he's finished with um, one of the guests who has uh, gone down on him he's finished with them <laughs> she's finished with him um she then says, like, it's your turn to go down on me, basically. And he gives this, like, grimace. He kind oh, of does this, like, real kind of, like, ooh. No, kind of, not... And then he, like, coughs a bit because His I think he's just... for that. He just had a smoke. Um, it's, uh... I think, yeah, like, he is... He should do more sex comedies. 
Yes. People are going to say, oh, he's going to be the next Bond. I want him to do the next Confessions of a Window Cleaner. <laughs> I think he's got just the expressions for that. Look at that Warhammer collection in there. <laughs> um, but I, what I'll say as well is, so this party... Can you explain to me what the what are the rules of the Nokia phone mask number? Oh, party? you haven't even mentioned. So there's a big wall full of masks with numbers on it. It's kind of like a traffic light party, I guess. But you you call people if you want to get a blowjob. Well, so like the the host explains it that you each get a chunky Nokia, <laughs> not its words, but to partake in pleasures of flesh anonymously. But you put on a mask, and then you've got these digits on, and like everyone keeps taking their masks on and off. Yeah, it's like COVID, isn't and it? And then like, why? You know, each of the masks got a phone number, so the idea is then you use the phone number to call them. And if it's you're like interested. a five-digit phone number as well. And imagine like registering that on the network. I, I need like uh, thirty, forty, five-digit phone numbers for my hell world, hell world sex party. <laughs> um. But, like, you call the number, and then the person, like, you speak to them, but... It has then, a name on the phone as well. But then, the, well, no, it just has the number on the phone, unless it's the, you know, the other characters they meet. Um, but at no point does it really... Un- do you understand how it works? Because you phone the number, and they're like, sure, I want to chat, but why can't you just go up to them and talk? What's the point of having the anonymity if you see the other person... I don't know. I just, I just can't because like they keep on like taking off their mask and then putting it back on again. <laughs> I feel like and then like... talk and like at one point when Mike Henry Cavill's character like sees the girl he wants to like you know mac on, um, he's like got his mask up and is talking to her like within like a, a like thirty <laughs> centimeters distance but still on the phone. I just, I, I just don't get. I like unlike most horror films where they have to explain why their phones aren't working. This film has to explain why they have mobile phones and they need to be working at all times because otherwise Lance Henriksen can't give them nightmare prompts. I so think I think that's interesting. It just reminds me of Alan Partridge trying to insert references to Terry's chocolate oranges into his radio show. I think Lance Henriksen got a sweet deal with his giant rotating puzzle box, but only if he could also get his party sponsored by Nokia <laughs> telephones. But um, at no point does anyone get chased by like a snake. At no point does anyone no. <laughs> play Snake on their Nokia and then, oh, suddenly they hallucinate and then, oh no, Pinhead's turned into a snake and he's been chasing them round corridors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, with so much Nokia donkey oh, phones... Well, that sounds this, like a missed opportunity. <laughs> a missed, oppo- <laughs> missed opportunity. Look at that. him, he's eating a bit of fruit, his tail's gone all big. <laughs> yeah. he, he got killed by his own bottom because he hit it. Because, um... Yeah, he does that at one point. Again, I know I talk about Alan Partridge a lot, but he one of the hallucinations, I think he, he kills a policeman with a spike. <laughs> he just has a spike for some reason. He's just holding a, a stake. Um, yeah, so there's not, I don't know if there's much more to say, is there? It's I, just deeply confused. Here's the thing. Okay, so it is, as we've said at the start, deeply confusing. Don't think about it. I still find there's just a certain, there's just enough entertainment value. Like I actually paused, I paused. So there's a bit when Lance Henriksen, um, let me just find it. Like uh, I think 
Alison, no, what's the name? It's Chelsea. She says to Lance Henriksen, goodbye, asshole. And I paused it and went for a wee. And when I came back, I unpaused it. And she roundhouse kicks him in the face. And he goes flying from the third story down into the middle of the building. I was like, stuff like that kept happening. It was kind of surprising. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. And then we haven't even mentioned how Chelsea ultimately survives. He, it looks like Lance Henriksen has won. He buries everyone alive. And it gets very confusing because he's sort of describing his plot while he's burying Chelsea alive. But Chelsea is already buried alive. So I'm guessing that his voice and what we're seeing is getting mixed up and what she's hallucinating, what's actually happening is all confused. But long story short, he seems to have won and he goes off his merry way to that hotel room to get killed by Pinhead and, and friends. Chelsea's life gets saved because the ghost of Adam <laughs> calls the actual police on one of the Nokia phones. I was really confused. and off, But like, you know, later, earlier on in the film, there is quite a creepy bit when one of the kids is like banging on the window trying to attract the attention of the police. And I actually learned through my research that one of the policemen is also from Goodnight Sweetheart. So there's like, there's like a UK casting thing happening here. Um... But, like, she's banging on the window. She can see the cops. But when the cops look through the window, she's not present. And I will say, that's an eerie thought. A disturbing image. The, it's like the start of Scream, where, spoilers, like, Drew Barrymore is being stabbed while reaching out to her parents. And her parents, she can see her parents. But they are not looking in that direction. So that is genuinely good. So there's just enough little moments which are quite good... And enough moments of bizarre Henry Cavill performances, some quite meaty gore, some good some jump scares. Just, just enough to entertain me and, and not want to slip my own wrists watching this show. I buried you. Each in separate coffins with cell phone at hand. With ventilation, so you wouldn't run out of air and miss out on all that sweet suffering. Like I said, I think this film is pretty clever with that twist because I didn't see it coming. And also, I because think, it's impossible. Because it's impossible. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, it is quite creepy to think about. I mean, no one likes being buried alive. Um, but it is quite creepy having this idea that everything that we saw is just like this sort of horrible hallucination and lack of oxygen and being trapped in a little box. And, you know, Mike, uh, Henry Cavill's character, he died of fear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that kind of made me laugh out loud. Like, 
Lance Henriksen saying he actually died of an asthma attack. She actually died because she was clawing her own neck. He died of good old fear. <laughs> like he pooed his pants. <laughs> the smell. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and, you know, that would be very traumatic. Um, I think it's... it's. Is it traumatic to be buried alive to feel hallucinating something else, though? I mean, I think the screaming that she... She couldn't stop screaming after being, like, helped out by the cops at the end. Like, Yeah. It you know, be. maybe I would... I guess if I wanted to revenge myself by burying people alive, I'd want them to know that they're being buried alive, not roundhouse kicking me. <laughs> I think without that twist, it wouldn't have been nearly as good a film. I'm not saying... The, I, I think that it's one of those twists where it's impossible. You couldn't possibly necessarily see it coming. I know there are hints of seeing Lance Henriksen burying people or like, you know, there's lots of stuff where like digging and coffin lids and stuff so like you could probably work it out if I just know this image of like you know Lance Harrison gathering six coffins and like doing all the digging and like building up sweat like oh, I should be at this fucking party uh, like, I'm here <laughs> doing this <laughs> um so yeah I, I I there's more to it than you would expect less to it if you're expecting Hellraiser or video game uh stuff happening and I can see how it would be hugely unsatisfying because not only do you see very little of the Cenobites, which, you know, is part of the course with even the first Hellraiser Yeah, especially sequels as well. But when they do show up, they're just, you know, it's Pinhead spouting dumb catchphrases and acting like, yeah, like a latter-day Freddy Krueger, just like, you know, ha-ha, you got punked, like, (laughs) stuff. Um, But, you know, it sort of explains why that's the case and just because it explains that does not a satisfying film make but yeah i i appreciated what hell world was trying to do even when maybe it doesn't wholly succeed mm. so yeah like not necessarily a recommendation <laughs> but it's it's horror month <laughs> Demon, demons of some Angels to others, eh, for the majority. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meh, meh razor. Um, yeah, I think, again, just to put a, a cherry on top of that, I think just because I've seen so many shitty Hellraiser sequel, sequels, the fact that this made me crack a smile a few times was just blessed relief. <laughs> it was like an oasis. It's like, like I've been trapped in hell for so long with these sequels. But, you know, I'm looking forward to this new one. The trailer looks amazing. I love the director. It's good I mean, stuff. who knows? It could be like a stealth video game movie and we just <laughs> oh, <that would> be <laughs> might amazing. have to cover it next time. Or add an addendum, a mm. mini-sode, a bonus episode. If suddenly turns out, I don't know, Pinhead is massively into JRPGs. <laughs> <laughs> well, until that... Hellraiser sequel, that's the last time we're going to talk about Hellraiser. In the meantime, though, how can people keep in touch with games on the film? Well, you can find more information on our website, hellworld.com. Uh, <laughs> sorry, no. Gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. Our brand of evil is online too, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on Twitter, at gamesonfilmpod. And you can contact us through virtual hell by email, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com I'm on Twitter at Rory Steele I'm at Only Man Who Can and all episodes of the podcast are available wherever you get your podcasts be it Acast be it Apple Podcasts be it Spotify etc 
So please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. Wow. There you go. <laughs> it was very nice to talk about my favourite crappy film franchise for a little while. I just hope that I'm not going to wake up and it was all a dream slash nightmare and me being in a coffin but not really aware I'm in a coffin and also being buried alive by the dad of my friend who I let get addicted to Minesweeper. Who also appears at the very end as the two survivors drive off. He grab, he sort of grabs the wheel and then disappears. Oh, that happens car. as well? Oh, man. This film's too smart for me. <laughs> but until next time, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.